Hey there, my name is Tyler Morningstar, and I'm here with my co-host and mom, Carrie Morningstar. This is the Selling Fort Wayne podcast. This podcast is focused on all things real estate related in and around the Fort Wayne area. We'll also touch on some community events and some community outreach as well. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hello there. Hi. Welcome to the Selling Fort Wayne podcast. I'm uh, your co-host, Tyler Morningstar, along with the other host. And hi, it's Carrie Morningstar. Who do we have with us today, Carrie? We have Ryan Dollins with us. He is an appraiser. He is an independent appraiser because what that means is from the fallout of 2008, it used to be that you could kind of choose your own appraiser. And now, and Ryan, at any time you can correct me, but now they go through a system where each person is just randomly picked to do an appraisal. And that's what Ryan does. Ryan, tell us a little bit about you, your company name, and how long you've been in business. Yeah, uh, like Gary said, I'm Ryan Dollins with Dollins Appraisal Services, and I have been appraising for about three to four years, and we're located in southwest side of Fort Wayne, and we typically operate in uh, Allen County, uh, Whitley, Huntington, and sometimes Wells. Ryan, was I correct in stating what happened in 2008 and what's transpired now? Is that a true statement, or can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah, typically uh, the lenders that require an appraisal, they have to go through an AMC, which is an appraisal management company, and the AMC typically has a list or roster of appraisers that they select from, and then they have chosen those appraisers from in the market area, and they'll select randomly for each, each appraisal that comes through. You said you've been in the business three to five years. Were you a real estate agent prior to that? Correct. Yep. I was a realtor for about a year, a year or two, and then I started getting my uh, trainee license to become an appraiser. You said training license. Do you have to be licensed to be an appraiser? Yes. So in order to become um, a real estate appraiser, you need to work as a trainee under a supervisor for 2,500 hours and two years. And that during that process, you'll have a trainee license. And then after you have completed the 2,500 hours and two years working under somebody, you'll have the chance to take an exam to become a certified residential appraiser, which is what I am. And then some people, if they want to work in commercial, they will, uh, they'll have to complete additional hours and additional training, and they can become a certified general appraiser. So who regulates appraisers? Yep, so that, that's kind of a tricky question, but there is an appraisal foundation that kind of sets the rules and make changes. And basically, they have a set of rules called USPAP that uh, us, the appraisers, go follow. And it's a goal of theirs to um, make sure that they can regulate appraisals and that they can keep like a consistent set of standards and, and certain rules and, and regulations for the appraisers to follow. Is it true, Ryan, I don't know if this is true or not, but to maintain your license, they take all the appraisals you have done in the course of the year and you have to be within 1%. Is that true? I haven't heard that before. Okay, I just made that up. I wanted to see. <laughs> Good thing no. you talked first. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, I had heard that before, so I don't know. So do you have any sort of, so you're consistent, which I guess goes back to the regulations where they're watching what you're doing or where you're coming up with the pricing or something like that? Uh, do I have that or the, the people that are regu regulating it? The people who are regulating it. I mean, is there a mm. standard or something that you have to be within a certain percentage or anything like that in the course of the year? Or is it every five years? 
it's like an audit. Do you get audited? Well, um, every AMC, they, they run our appraisals through a, a software that uses something called uh, UAD standards, and they are able to track the appraisals that I'm doing so that if I use certain comparables throughout the, the year, they'll be able to track and make sure that I'm, I'm calling them the same thing, like a condition rating and things like that, to make sure that they're consistent. Interesting. If that makes sense. So I, I kind of feel like when I am out in the field, that appraisers are like this mysterious boogeyman. And people don't really understand how they work or what they do or how they operate. So could you kind of walk us through from beginning to end your process on your end of things? Mm. Yeah, so typically we receive an order from either a lender, an AMC, or potentially a private client, whether that's like an estate sale or if they're buying a property cash. And they'll Hold on, let me interrupt you real quick. When you say you receive an order, Mm-hmm. Does that mean, like, how does that process work? Are you in a queue? Are, is it anonymous? Is it a blind order? Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, there's, is there a bias there? Is the bias removed? Yeah, they, they try to remove all bias, but each lender will send me an appraisal, and I'll have it, the opportunity to either accept the appraisal, accept the fee, accept the due date. And if I don't like the due date or if I don't like the fee, I can counter it to them and say, okay, I want to complete it for this fee, and I won't be able to complete it until in the, this date. And if they accept it, um, then I'll carry on with the order, or if I decline it, or they decline my conditions, then they'll send it to the next appraiser on the roster. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but go ahead. Yep. So then once we receive the order, uh, we'll plug it into our database that helps schedule all the appraisals. We will pull all the information, the research and data on the property, and then we will uh, reach out to either the real estate agent or the um, borrower to try to schedule the appraisal. And then after we schedule the appraisal, we'll go out to the property and um, some appraisers do it differently. I, I typically pull the comps before I go to the house and then I get kind of an idea what, what I'm looking at before I get there. And then once I see the house, if anything's wildly different or the square footage is way off, then it gives me an opportunity to pull new comparables if I need to. And then after I visit the property, I will uh, put everything into our appraisal report. I will uh, make any adjustments to any of the comparables. I'll add any information to the report. Then I'll complete it and send it back on to the lender. So house A, whatever you're starting your appraisal on, how long does that process take? Yeah, from the time we receive the order to the time we complete it, it can take one to three weeks depending on our workload. But the actual appraisal itself, it takes maybe about four hours is, is where we have it at. Okay. When you go out to look at the home, do you personally measure the home or do you just go off the tax assessor's measurements? Great question. We I always start with the tax records, but we're required to measure the property every time we're there. And in order to measure the property, we have to measure the exterior of the of the property, which can be kind of challenging sometimes, like if it's a basement or if it's a second level. But we, we try our best to, uh, to measure everything to get the correct uh, square footage of the property. On a whole, how many appraisals do you think you do a month? So we typically do 10 to 15 every week. So on like a four-week month. We you can, personally or your company? Uh, well, yeah, my, myself and my company. Correct. Ooh. Yep. Do you have other appraisers that work for you? Right now I have a trainee appraiser who is working as my assistant, and then I have a, an additional assistant that helps. I already asked this question. Thank goodness for girlfriends and wives, huh? <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, I want to ask you about things that might be of value, that some people think are of value, and what's your you know, personal opinion? Because I realize an appraisal is a person's personal opinion. So when someone has a pool in their backyard, is that worth anything? Do you give any monies towards it? 
if there's a fence, nice landscaping. Do you give them any extra money if they've had a new roof or their mechanicals done? You know, those are all things that people sometimes think there's a lot of value in there. And I could be wrong, so I'm gonna, that's why you're, you're here, the expert. When someone says, hey, I just put a new roof on, well, that's great, and that will get you close to your list price. Well, right now, I mean, that would be, but in typical times, in normal times, but that's a maintenance item. I think because you know they're going to have to put a roof on or they're going to have to put windows in. What's what's your thought on that, Ryan? Um, yeah, that's correct. Uh, so there are certain items like mechanicals, uh, roof siding, things like that. That, uh, uh, in our opinion, uh, someone who's purchasing the house or a typical buyer, they are looking for a house that have those already. So those don't always necessarily add a ton of value. But if you have a, a roof or siding or something like that that's in really bad shape or not working, it'll it'll Detect. be a, have a negative effect on the value. So, but uh, like a pool or a fence and things like that, you don't always get a dollar for dollar value back for those. Like, so it depends on the area, depends on the type of fence and, and everything else or the type of pool. I, t- I typically add uh, value for, for items like that. I think <clears throat> with him saying that, I think that leads us into probably the question. What are the things that people can add to their house or where can they add to their house that's going to increase the value of their home the greatest? Yep. So the things I give the most value to would be the condition of the home. So if they update kitchen, bathroom, flooring, things like that. So things like that that are going to set the house aside from some of the other comparables that are out there on the market. But like you said, with landscaping, that's another one that doesn't really, it could affect the marketability of the home, but not everyone really requires landscaping. Like if I was purchasing a home, I saw a ton of landscaping. I know that I'm going to be have the, the one that has to take care of it. <laughs> Me I'm going to have to pay someone else to do it. Me so too. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily add more for it. I'd Make I'd your house my, show nice. I'd call my Correct. mom over and say, can you help me with these plants? <laughs> but it does make your house look nice. I mean, that's all about curb appeal on selling the house. But when it's extensive landscaping, I understand what you're, what you mean. When Tyler was little, <laughs> I want to tell what? he had to pull weeds around the pool and he hated it. But that was because that home had extensive landscaping. An ungodly amount of landscaping. Anyways. Okay, so what do you do if, like, you've got a meets and bounds property that's super unique and comps are just, you can't find comps? What do you do? Yeah, so uh, typically for most appraisals, especially rural properties, I, I start with a certain radius. Like, so depending on the area and everything, I, I can start with five mile radius, try to find comparables in there within a certain square footage range and a certain age range. But if I can't find any comparables that I feel are um, suitable, then I'll either extend the radius or I'll extend my age and square footage uh, criteria to try to find more. So it's just the net just gets a little wider Correct. until you can find something. But you have to be very careful because it's all about location. And if you choose one property in Whitley County and the comparable property is in Allen County, that could make a little bit of an impact. Sure. Okay. If I'm a buyer and you're doing an appraisal for me, right, and for the lender, I can talk to you, right? Can I talk to you? I'm just as long as I'm not trying to sway you, I can ask you questions. Correct. You can ask me whatever questions you want, especially whether we're on the phone or once I get to the house. I encourage people to talk to me. I can't really say that, but I, I always appreciate it when they try to let me know what they've done to the house. Yeah. Because sometimes they've had an appraisal done two years ago, but I wasn't the appraiser then. I have no idea what the house looked like then. I, I don't really know any of that information. But if you let me know what you've done to the house and anything else that you're looking for, that gives me more information. Because sure. our goal is to put all the data together and come up with the value. Okay. Well, that's very interesting because I thought that no one could speak to the appraiser. 
the buyer, the lender, or the seller or seller's agent or the buyer's agent. That's not a law, a rule. You can probably talk as long as it's factual, right? Like as long as, yeah. like you said, I updated my bathroom three years ago. Yeah, as long as you are giving me information about the house, that's more data-driven. As long as you're not saying, hey, I really want you to praise it for X number of dollars, <laughs> then, I mean, that's a little bit different. That, that time's be, come and gone. That, <laughs> might be, that might be a slight problem. <laughs> but if, well, but once again, sometimes I have a list. There's one particular listing agent who's been doing it for, or he's been selling house for 25, 30 years, and every time I do one of his properties, he comes to the house, he gives me his set of comps, said, hey, here's what I came up with the property, here's where I come up with the value, here are the updates. He makes it so that I have all the data available so that it's not a guessing game. Mm. I, I don't recommend everybody doing that, but at the same time, I'm not sure if I've cut one of his properties before. I'm not sure, sure if I'm supposed to say that or not. Well, and probably, too, you could even email it without showing up, I mean, and bringing you candy and gift cards and stuff. But So you just mentioned the word cut. Explain that to listeners who aren't familiar with this process. What does, it, what does that mean? Yep, so a cut appraisal is uh, one in which we have a copy of the purchase agreement and the realtors and, and all the parties have agreed on a price, purchase price, and we uh, have the opportunity to do the appraisal. And if our value, our opinion of value comes in a little bit lower than the purchase price, then everyone calls that a cut appraisal. Okay. And then that gives the opportunity for the, uh, and you guys would know a little bit more about this than I would, but it gives the opportunity for everyone to basically either renegotiate or come up with a different way to purchase the property. And then that kind of leads us into another question is, in the light of a cut appraisal, how can somebody change your mind? And does that happen very often? I mean, who's how, somebody? The appraiser? Yeah. Well, like if it's another agent or somebody who's trying to justify the value of the oh, okay. agreed price, the original price. Yeah. So in this situation, uh, this is this goes back to a little bit what you're saying. At that point in time, you're not really supposed to talk to the appraiser at all. Yeah. Well, we need to make sure that there's a third party between us, and that's typically the lender and the AMC, the appraisal mm-hmm. management company. So if you have any questions, concerns, or have additional comparables that you think I may have overlooked, send all that information to the lender, and they'll put together like a list or a packet of items for me to review and look at. But I know some appraisers are, are very, very stubborn, and, and once they have their opinion set, it's really hard to change their mind. But I am always open to finding more information or more data. So if there's something I overlooked or missed, or and sometimes if I put a uh, criteria, so okay, so say it's a, a thousand square foot house, and I use a 25% higher and lower, and I go up to 1250 and down to 750. If a house is uh, 1,251 square feet, and I just didn't have my radius sure. stretch out just enough, then I could have missed it. And gotcha. just one square foot doesn't really matter sure. that much if, sure. if you're a little outside the, the desired ratio. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is a person can come and talk to you prior to you doing the appraisal, but thereafter, once the appraisal's been completed, that's pretty much a no-no of... Yeah, unless, unless you'd go through the, the lender, correct? Right. Correct, yeah. Okay. I, I would recommend always going through the lender to avoid any, any type of bias or anything like sure. that. But in order to get into a property, especially for like refinance, I have to talk to somebody. Otherwise, <laughs> you'll have a stranger knocking on the door and... You won't let me in. I have been in the business a long time. We know. (laughs) But there used to be a thing called the Marshall Swift appraisal. Have you heard of anything like that before? Yeah, there's a Marshall Swift handbook for coming up with cost approach, and it has a... Uh, basically a set of values for everything with a house. So when we're coming up with the cost approach, we're trying to come up with what we think the value of the home is based on the construction materials minus any depreciation on the home. And the Marshall and Swift handbook will help us come up with those those figures. Is that something that maybe you're using more often right now because of you know home selling for much higher 
than list price, and also because to duplicate it or you know you know rebuild that house with the price of materials right now, the replacement cost would be outlandish. Do, have you used the Marshall Swift lately? Well, normally when we are doing the cost approach, we can either use the Marshall Swift handbook or we can use uh, local builder pricing because we still appraise quite a few uh, uh, new construction homes. But typically a lender is going to require or recommend that we focus more of our uh, efforts on the sales comparison approach. So we may not look at the cost approach as much. Tidewater. Does that term mean anything to you? Um, I've heard it before, but I can't even ran into it. Yeah. Have you ran into that before? What is it? I've only ran into it one time and Mike might have to cut all this out because we're just talking at this point. (laughs) I only ran into it one time. I had a, I had a listing and the buyer was a VA and it got cut like $20,000 and I had like two weeks to try to find comps to give to the appraiser. And they called it Tidewater. And I'd never heard of it before. It was like, I was like a, my first year. I didn't know what that was. Have um, you ever? I, I think um, the only time I heard of it is uh, I had a lender and a realtor friend of mine who had both just ran into this, a similar situation. And they asked me a question about it. And I had no idea what they were talking about. So I'm, yeah, I'm not so really sure exactly what, what it means. But I'm also not VA approved appraiser. So that might be. Ah, so that VA leads side. into some other stuff. Okay. What's the difference there? So a, a VA appraisal, they have to be certified or, or licensed to be able to do VA appraisals. And I am able to do FHA, USDA, and conventional, uh, but not VA. What is the difference between a VA appraisal and, let's say, a conventional appraisal? Um, well, typically, uh, I'm not 100% sure on the VA specifics, but I know, like, a, I'm pretty sure it's similar to an FHA to where you need to make sure that there's no issues with the soundness and livability of the home. So uh, nothing that needs repaired or some of the items that most people are aware of that, that we're looking for would be like peeling paint, standing water in a basement, damaged like windows or in handrails going up and down stairs, things like that. I have a question, but I don't know how to articulate it. Maybe you guys can help me formulate the question. With the way things are going, with houses going twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 over list, how are you like, are you... I mean, how are you keeping up with that? I feel like that'd be really difficult. And that, that, I just want to, because I think this will go coincide with this. So a home sells, you have it listed, let's say for 270, and then it sells for 300. What's going around here in our office is, well, before it goes pending, move the price up to the 300 to try to get the full appraisal. Because obviously, right now what's happening is appraisal gap uh, monies. And... How I would think since you're going to see the history of the listing, would that really make a difference? It doesn't make that much of a difference because we, yeah, we we do see when it was listed, what it was listed for, and we we see all of that information as long as we're looking for it. But sometimes if if an appraiser is going a little bit too quickly, they may not notice it as much. But but really, I want to say this the right way: it doesn't really matter what the house is listed for because like, we're just coming up what we think the market value is. Mm-hmm. So if we come in lower than the purchase price, whether it was listed higher or lower. I mean, we were supposed to really overlook some of that, but our goal is to come up with a, what a typical buyer would pay for a property. But if there are no comparables or no data out there to show that, then then we're kind of stuck. Ryan, I had an appraiser call me because I had a home sell for $20,000 over the asking price. And he said to me, I've never had this before, he said to me, did you have any other offers? And I said, yes, I had four other offers. And he said, were they all above you know, the asking price, I said, yes. He said, would you mind sending me a copy of all your offers? And I said, yes. 
And then it appraised, and thereafterwards, I called him after we closed, and I just said, why did you want to see what the house, you know, why all the offers? And he said, a house is worth what a buyer will pay for it. And if you had four offers and four people were willing to pay above asking price for it, then I feel that it was worth that. Have you ever heard of that approach? Yeah, I. if there are multiple offers on the property, I like to know about it. I don't typically ask for all of the other offers. But a lot of times I, I, I take the person's word for it if I need to or if I see the escalation clause and everything else. But, but I mean, that's, that's our goal is to come up with what a typical buyer would pay for the property. But I'd be curious to see if there were enough comps or what comparables he used or if he used any type of time adjustment or, or how, he, how he did that. But What's time adjustment? So especially in this market, we uh, have the ability to – so when, when we are looking at our side-by-side comparison, if we have the data to show that if the house sold 3, 6, 9, 12 months prior to the effective date of the appraisal, and we have data to show that the market has increased a certain amount, then we can add a time adjustment, which adds value to the comparables in order to show where the market's at from when it sold. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I've also seen – on the flip side, I've seen a lot of appraisers that don't want to do that. But sometimes little markets within Fort Wayne are a little bit different from each other. So sometimes there's not enough data to show, they, even though it looks like it's improving on paper, there's not enough data to show that it should be increasing or what the actual percentage is. Okay, Ryan, I got another one for you. If I, I was talking to an appraiser and he told me that age didn't matter to him because well, it mattered to him providing the mechanicals were updated. So if he was looking at a brand new home and he was looking at a home that was 30 years old, you know, one's brand new, of course, everything is new in it, but the 30-year-old had new mechanicals in it, roof, furnace, central air, windows, he's not going to give any age adjustment. What's your thoughts about that? I would have a tough time using a, a comparable that was that old, unless it's a rural property and I just couldn't find anything else. But if there's enough comparables available within a subdivision or a more populated area, then I would have a tough time using 30-year-old home to, to value a, a brand new home. So even if some of the mechanicals and everything are updated, it's hard for me to show exactly that the all the comparables have updated uh, mechanicals and roof and everything else, because sometimes there's not very much information on the uh, on the on the listing. Also makes makes sense. Ryan's making a lot of sense today. Mm-hmm. Good to know because this is a really unbelievable market right now. It's so silly. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Silly. Silly. So silly. <laughs> <laughs> What's this chart? Even though we can't show people on the chart on the podcast. What's this chart? Oh, uh, there's a chart on here that just goes over some of who regulates the oh, appraisal okay. process in case you guys tried to stump me or anything like that. Uh, we weren't <laughs> trying to stump you. Not our objective. No, we just like to give knowledge out to people, trying to make this interesting so we can get from five listeners to seven, maybe. Yeah, shooting for nine. Let's say I've got a villa for sale. And in the past year, no other villas have sold in that whole township. I don't know. At a certain point, can I use like a single family home as a comp if I cannot find anything that's remotely similar that's a villa? Is it an attached villa or detached? detached. Um, Yes, there are certain subdivisions that have villas kind of right next to a lot of single-family homes. If there aren't any other villas available, then you could potentially use those as a comparable. What we would want to do is look at any villas over time and see if there should be any type of adjustment for, for the type of house it is. Okay. I think today has helped tremendously because with 
selling homes right now, everyone's so worried about the appraisal. You know, the appraisal, oh my gosh, what's the appraiser going to do? What's the price going to come in? So right now we have on offers that are called appraisal gap monies. And what that is, is the buyer is willing to pay the difference between the appraisal price and the purchase price that they've offered. That is getting to be quite uh, common right now in on our purchase agreements. When you see something like that, Ryan, on the purchase agreement, does that affect you in any way in regards to seeing that the buyer is willing to pay that? Great question. Um, I try not to let it influence me as much because once again, we're just trying to come up with the, the value of the property. It doesn't really matter as much whether the buyer is supposed to go high or low. I've, I've had some realtors ask me that same question to see if, if I'd be more willing to cut the appraisal because I know they can come up with the gap money or whether I'm more likely to appraise it higher. But once again, we only have certain data available that we can use to try to come up with the value for the home. So do you guys normally put that right on the purchase agreement or do it yep, in an the appraisal separately? gap? Yeah. Yeah. It's right on there. Okay. We have we hand write it on, but it's it's on there. Yes. You literally write it like, like a pen. You know, just type it in. Well, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's not a permanent paragraph on the purchase no. agreement. It might as well be right now. Right now. You might yeah. as well add it. Hmm. Well, Ryan, we really appreciate you coming today. Again, could you give them your business? information and telephone number if they needed to get a hold of you because I know sometimes people will purchase a home with cash and they'll say hey do you know appraiser and maybe you know you never know what might happen with those five listeners that were that are listening right now yeah 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 if you're looking for an appraiser uh, my name is Ryan Dollins with Dollins Appraisal Services and my phone number is 260-479-5115 and if you need to email me my email is ryan at dollinsappraisals.com I'm Tyler Morningstar and I'm still Carrie Morningstar. Still Carrie. Hey, it was really nice today because this is the first time we were able to do a podcast without a mask. Oh, yeah. So, hey, we're moving up in the world. Plus, if you saw our room, we are now have all kinds of insulation up so we have a better reception with noise and our voices. So, we're living large now. Yeah, we're big time. Yeah. Uh, still have not received a single email. Oh, come on, you <laughs> to guys. To our email inbox for this show selling fw podcast at gmail.com we would love to have a email yes one just one <laughs> just I have one had, email i've had good responses off of facebook and so forth where people are sharing them oh yeah and and i've had you know people reaching out to me saying hey they enjoyed it they learned something that was really exciting for me that they learned something so hey if you're not wanting to email you can call me carrie no, don't call her call me you can call me at 260-410-8294 or... Tyler Morningstar, 260-433-5385. Thanks, Ryan, for coming. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me.